0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millenium Money Medical. My name's Dev Raga, and I'm your host. And in this episode, we're going to continue to focus on the massive topic of superannuation, Now, I've discussed the core concepts in part one of this series. This is a three-part series dedicated to superannuation. So I think before you listen to this episode, I think you should listen to part one first because a lot of the concepts we're going to be talking about in this episode, I'm going to assume that you've done the first episode. Now, we can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. As a full-service financial advisory business, they can help you in many ways, whether that be your requirements on general business advice, structuring, and use of multiple entities for tax minimization or asset protection purposes to protect you for the extra risk we take on as medical professionals or as a sounding board on ideas you have on your business. Check out altisfinancial.com.au. Let's get started. Now, if you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, the aim is education, empowerment and entertainment. So, some of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode is spousal superannuation. How does that work in terms of contributions to spouse? Insurance and superannuation. How does taxation work, capital gains, etc.? And what happens if you actually breach the concessional contributions uh, cap? So there's a few sort of nitty gritties that we'll talk about on this one. And on the next episode, we're going to talk about how super works for you on the back end, particularly when you start your phasing of retirement. So how can you contribute to your superannuation uh, to your spouse? Now, this is an interesting topic in itself. Most of what we discussed before was basically about you, yourself, um, and only you but some of you may have partners or spouses. How does it work to contribute to their super? Now, if you're a partner and you're on a low-income earner and you work part-time or currently unemployed, they may be disadvantaged by getting less super, but you can help with that to top it up. There are two main ways that this can work. Number one is you can do what's called a spousal contributions tax offset. And number two is, you can do what's called a spousal contributions splitting. So, what is a spousal contribution tax offset? Now, you can contribute up to $3,000 into your spouse's super and then claim an 18% tax offset for yourself. This means you get a tax offset maximum of 18% of the $3,000, which is around $540. You could do this every year if you want to. But, There are rules for this eligibility, and they are, you must be married or be in a de facto relationship. Both of the uh, persons must be Australian residents. So if your partner isn't, this scheme is not eligible. Both of you must be under the age of 67, largely. And the contribution must be non-concessional for you. That is, you can't make a concessional contribution and double dip on the 18% tax offset and the receiving spouse's income must be less than $37,000. Now, if it's between thirty-seven dollars and $40,000, you still receive a partial offset. But if it's greater than $40,000, this scheme is not eligible for you. Now, what's the difference between this, which is the spousal contributions tax offset, and the spousal contributions splitting? Now, that's something entirely different. and I think sometimes people get confused between the two. You can opt with the splitting to transfer some of your concessional contributions over to your spouse's super account. Now, you can only split up to 85% of the concessional contributions because remember, the other 15% is paid in tax already when it enters your account. And your spouse must be below the preservation age based on their date of birth. Now, there's a chart for this. If you're interested, um, you can Google it. You can Google the preservation age chart, um, you know, for spouses, etc. So, why would anyone split their concessional contributions with their super? Oh, sorry, with their spouse. Beg your pardon. Now, supposing you have an older spouse and they're entitled to access their super earlier than you, it provides flexibility and strategic sense to do this if both are on the path to financial independence. Now, supposing you have a younger spouse, if you want less of your wealth being assessed for Centrelink benefits, you may wish to transfer some of your concessional contributions to your spouse. And this is a strategic move to access Centrelink benefits for both of you. So depending on the age of the spouse, you may use this strategy to split your super contributions to your spouse. Now, remember, there is a $1.7 million as of this recording in 2022, June, Um, Transfer balance cap limit before you start paying tax. So you may wish to transfer some of your super to your spouse to remain below this threshold for tax-advantaged purposes. And let's face it, in the future, targeting super is on the government's cards. So you may wish to protect against future legislative changes when they target high super balance individuals. Now, what's so bad about this super contribution split? The bad thing is when you transfer concessional contributions, note it's not cash, it's investments that you've already got in your super, it may trigger a capital gains event, which means any capital gains tax will be payable at the super level. And also any transactional costs need to be considered. So you need to be careful because all of the concessional contributions cap we've discussed before also exists for your spouse and partner. And your partner has full control over their super. So once the split is done, it's their money and investments. So even if you split the concessional contributions, your cap is unaffected, i.e. it'll still count towards your cap. So those are the two main ways that you can contribute to your spouse, which is the spousal contributions tax offset and the spousal contributions splitting. And there's some of the pros and cons of splitting. Now, what happens to super when you die? It's important to note that when you construct your will and estate planning, your super is excluded as part of it. The main reason for this is wills only cover assets held under your name. Your super is not held under your name. It's held under a trust structure. So there's a trustee. This means your trustee often decides who gets your super, but there are ways to protect your super upon your death and this is really important. Here are the top things to know. Your super can only be given to some people and you can't give your super to any Tom, Dick and Harry. You need to nominate someone as a beneficiary and the nomination can't just be logging in and stating the details. That's really critical I think a lot of people forget that just because you log in and just mention who your beneficiary is inside your logged in account, that may not be enough. Most superannuation funds have something called a binding death benefit nomination form, which you need to download and fill out. And usually this form needs to be filled every three years or so. Now, there is something called a non-lapsing binding nomination as well. Check with your super fund but most people prefer to do this every three years because your beneficiaries may in fact change. Your super can then be distributed to this person whom you've nominated as a binding beneficiary who has to be then legally responsible person or one or more of your dependents. Now, if your legally responsible person or your representative person or executor of the will gets access to your will then they will need to distribute it according to your will and estate plans. So, let's just recap the difference between the non-binding nomination and a binding death nomination forms. Basically, if you don't fill out a binding nomination form, it means you can list people as your beneficiary, but ultimately, the control is with the trustee. I don't see why anyone would want to give that sort of control to a random person who is a trustee. Now, the issue with having non-lapsing binding nomination is once you've done it, unless you remember it, it doesn't change. And the situation of family relationships may change. So I think it's useful to have a three-year form and then check in on it every three years to make sure everything is in order. And you need to put yourself as a reminder. So I generally review it on the 1st of January. It's a reminder for me to renew my insurances, my binding death nomination forms, and just an overall portfolio check with my superannuation and all my investments in my property. So it's absolutely important that people understand the difference between a binding death nomination form and a non-binding beneficiary nomination. And I think a lot of people may not understand the difference, and it's really important. I've actually spoken to people that unfortunately have had partners die and the partner hasn't done a binding nomination form and it's a real pain to actually get the money from the super, particularly if they don't have a will. So remember, your super is not covered by the will because the super is not in your name, it is held by the trustee. That's the structural difference. Now to the taxation bit of it. How is superannuation taxed? Now, this is a really good question, and I will cover the back end of super of how that gets taxed in the next episode. But the front end of super, and that's the accumulation phase, there are three stages and taxes which apply within super. And some of these we've already covered in the previous episode. Stage one is contributions tax, which is a flat tax of 15%. It's really important to understand that this is not the fee that the superannuation fund charges. This is the tax that we all have to pay for the privilege of contributing to our super concessionally. Stage two is when the money is within super and earns money because of compounding, there is an earnings tax, and that's usually at a flat tax rate of 15%. And stage three is withdrawal tax when you withdraw the money from super, there may be some taxation on those withdrawals. So let's go through each stage carefully and see how taxation matters. Stage one, contributions tax. This is for concessional contributions where money enters super from pre-tax dollars. It is being taxed at 15%. This is a flat tax. If you have a tax rate higher than 15%, that it makes sense to max out the concessional contributions at $27,500 every single year, if possible. This depends on your cash flow situation and how soon you need the money. But to give you a basic example, if you're someone that pays 30% tax normally, but you max out your super concessionally, that means instead of paying 30% tax you're now only paying 15% tax and you get an instant return of 15% on your money. That's guaranteed every single time. Now, if you're in a higher tax bracket, which a lot of listeners are, at 40 to 45%, you can imagine a significant benefit of maxing out your super. Now, there is no extra tax payable if you take after-tax money and put it into super, and that's called non-concessional contributions. Stage two, earnings tax. During your wealth accumulation stage or working phase, you will select investments within your super, and those investments hopefully would have performed really well. If you keep those within super, you still pay tax, but it's at a discounted rate of 15%. And that taxation includes capital gains, interest, and dividends. Now, if you sold any investments and held it for greater than 12 months, you get a one-third capital gains discount, which means your capital gains tax is now only 10%. Now, compare this to the investments outside of super, which are included into your assessable income and taxed at marginal tax rates, Granted, you still get the 50% CGT discount. But notice the capital gains tax within super gets a discount of one third and that brings down the tax rate to 10%. So that's really important to understand when it comes to earnings tax within super. That's stage two. Stage three is withdrawal phase or taxation upon withdrawal. When you withdraw from super as a lump sum while under the age of 60, you pay some tax and there is a table for this and it depends on the tax-free portion and taxable portion of contributions. Remember, any after-tax contributions you may have contributed, you can withdraw as a lump sum tax-free amount. If you're in retirement over the age of 60, then you can migrate your super to retirement phase. And any earnings and withdrawal is considered tax-free, provided you're not working full-time. And there's something called the death benefits tax. If you die and your dependents, tax dependents, or according to the ATO definitions, children or spouse, receive your super, they get it tax-free. If you die and your super goes to a non-tax-paying non-dependent, they may need to pay tax on the super. Those are the three stages of taxation, basic stuff, that you need to understand. Contributions tax, earnings tax, and withdrawal tax. Now, the next question I had about super is, how do you change super? How does it actually work? Can you actually change your superannuation fund? Now, some people may want to change funds due to investments, whatever options they have, fees, advice received, or insurance. Now, more about insurance later in this episode. The three terminologies are rollover, withdrawal, and transfer. They all mean the same thing, and I don't know why different superannuation funds use different terminologies, which makes it deliberately confusing. You find the form of changing over super, and you fill it out, and it's often a good strategy to tell your current super your plans to switch, so they can help you as well and it's more streamlined. Now, changing super doesn't happen automatically overnight. It takes a bit of time. Sometimes it can take up to three weeks. So what are the risks of changing one's super fund? Number one is insurance. They change, and I'll talk about this more later in this episode. The insurance that you're covered with with your current superannuation may not be the same level of cover when you change super funds. And it's really important that you compare like for like, which is why it's really tricky just to compare super funds based on the investments they offer and the fees they charge. Some of the lower fee ones may not have great insurance products. The second risk is fees and transaction costs. It's not free to change super funds. There are fees and transaction costs that you need to be aware of. Number three is investment growth. It may not be the same. Now, this is the same for whatever types of investments you have. The biggest challenge in Australia is trying to compare super funds. It's very hard to compare like for like. Even if you go to the ATO comparison tool, you're only going to find the my super equivalent, which is the balance fund, and you can only compare those. Surprisingly, for an industry that is relatively mature of over 30 plus years, we still don't have an easy comparison tool. Now, changing funds takes one to four weeks. So like I said, about three weeks roughly. So time out of the market is an investment risk. Number five is capital gains tax implications. Yes, It's discounted to 10% to 15% if owned for greater than 12 months, but you may be liable to pay capital gains tax if you change over to super. A couple of listeners found this out the hard way. And lastly, please tell your current employer because they may still be placing new super funds into your previous super fund. This has happened before, especially if you don't close your existing super account. So those are the risks of changing one's super fund. Now, the next question I had was, what happens if I contribute too much to my super? This is controversial. Now, sometimes you may breach the concessional contributions cap of $27,500 or breach the non-concessional contributions cap of $110,000 for that financial year. What happens then? This is common for people who, are across multiple jobs in the public sector, or have multiple jobs in the private sector, are unemployed. Let's talk about what happens when you breach concessional contributions tax threshold of twenty seven and a half thousand dollars. Now, if this happens, the excess contributions will get taxed at your marginal tax rate, but you won't be slugged twice. That is, remembering you would have already paid 15% contributions tax on your contributions when it hits super, concessionally, so the ATO will give you credit for that. To put it simply, if your marginal tax rate is 40%, you will get a credit of 15%. And you have to pay the difference of 25% tax on those excess contributions. Now, there is additional charges called excess concessional contributions charge. This is basically because you're effectively delaying your taxation, so an interest is payable as well. But I think from 2022, the excess contributions charge has been abolished, which is a good thing. I personally feel you should not be penalised over and above the marginal tax rate for saving for your retirement in super. And I think the ECCC excess contributions charge was very controversial in my humble opinion. Now, what happens if you breach the non-concessional contributions threshold of 110000 Similar to concessional breaches, you'll be charged a tax, but you won't be taxed higher than your marginal tax rate, which is 45% plus 2% levy for Medicare. So if you're already at that level, you may be charged, you may not be charged, beg your pardon, extra, but need to check with your super fund or accountant. So how do you then pay these excess contributions, charges and taxes? You can either pay it from your own pocket or withdraw it, that amount from your super. Generally speaking, I don't like touching retirement money. So if you have the money, just pay it out of your pocket if you can't afford it. Then the uh, excess contributions uh, will be transferred to your non-concessional threshold limits. So make sure you don't breach that as well. This usually happens automatically But you need to do some research on this and ask your super fund or the ATO themselves. Now, let's have a quick break. And when I come back, we will continue on the concepts of superannuation.
0: If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
1: Welcome back. Just another thanks to Altus Financial for getting behind My Millennial Money Medical. We can't do this without them. Whether you're established in your new career with a solid income and looking for next steps or you're after advice about buying into or selling or opening your first practice, Altus Financial can help. Altus is offering a complimentary 15-minute chat for anyone who wants to discuss their scenario with their professional team. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Now, back to superannuation The next question I had was, how is capital gains tax within super? Now, we we sort of dealt with this briefly prior to the break, but I just want to go through that again. Generally speaking, capital gains tax within super is quite good and it's quite lucrative. If you own an investment outside of super and you own it for greater than 12 months, you will receive a capital gains tax discount of 15%, sorry, 50%, beg your pardon. That is only 50% of the gain will be taxed at your marginal tax rate. But if you held the asset within your super, the taxation depends on whether it's an accumulation phase or retirement phase. Note, this is only for realised capital gains. If you don't realise it, i.e. no sale takes place, there isn't any tax you need to pay. And during accumulation phase, the capital gains tax is 15%. And if you held for greater than 12 months, you will get a one-third discount. So effectively, the CGT becomes 10%. That is extremely attractive to most people. You may not actually see it if you have your super in an industry fund because the fund manager pays the tax out of the pool of assets within the fund prior to declaring the unit price. It's a bit complex and I won't go into the weeds because I won't be able to find my way out of it. Now, during retirement phase, there is zero capital gains tax if your super is in this phase. This is why holding investments within super is absolutely awesome. If your super is in transition to retirement phase, this is not the same as retirement phase, and ultimately you will need to pay CGT of 15%, but you'll still get the one-third discount if the asset is held greater than 12 months. Generally speaking, whether you have a retail or industry super fund or SMSF, your capital gains tax is still the same. Now, the next topic is low-income super offset. This is different to spousal super contribution schemes that we talked about earlier. This only applies to low-income earners. How does this work? This is basically a refund of some of the contributions tax you may have paid as a low-income earner. Effectively it's a $500 refund. That is low income earners do not have to pay tax the first $500 of contributions tax. This is per person. What's the eligibility here? If you earn less than $37,000 per year including super, you can claim this during tax returns. And it's not much much money, but it's free money. Never say no to free money. That's Devraga's principle. I suspect this scheme will not apply to a vast majority of listeners to this podcast, but I do know there are nursing, medical students that have part-time work that may benefit from this scheme. But remember also our patients, who may be low-income earners, must be told about this scheme. I often calculate compound returns for smokers if they're really motivated to stop smoking, it's one of the ways I explain how the damage smoking really does to their health, but also to their finances. Now, what about sole traders when it comes to superannuation? There are plenty of sole traders listening to this episode. Now, when it comes to sole traders, healthcare workers, it could be allied health or general practice or specialists, etc. There are heaps of them listening out there. And there are also non healthcare workers that work as sole traders, like your tradespersons, etc. As a sole trader, you are your own boss. You have no employer, which means you're not entitled to any mandatory super contributions. Sole traders are ridiculously at high risk of not investing into their super, having little to nothing during the retirement phase. It's an understated risk, so please pay attention. What can you as a sole trader do? You can contribute personal contributions. These can be concessional or non-concessional. We've gone through these concepts before. Remember, concessional contributions max out at $27,500 and non-concessional contributions max out at $110,000. All the carry forward and bring forward rules still apply. And essentially, as a sole trader, you can take advantage of all of the super rules just like employed people. It's just that you need to do it yourself and there is no one else to do it for you. Now, what are downsizer contributions? This came up in one of the questions. This scheme is designed to people who want to sell their home and downsize and use the proceeds of the money and put it into super. Let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy and Rob are nearing their retirement. They live in a fully paid off home which is valued at $600,000. They don't need such a big home anymore. Their combined super is only half a million dollars. So they think they can sell their home and use the proceeds to contribute towards their super. This then makes them eligible to convert their super into retirement phase and draw an income from that. Paul Keating famously said, you can't eat your home, and that's very true. So how does this work practically for Amy and Rob? Amy and Rob each can contribute up to $300,000 into their own super as downsizer contributions. So when they sell their home, supposing they get $600,000, they can split it equally between them. They both need to be above the age of 65, and this scheme allows you literally to eat your home. Of course, this also means Amy and Rob will need to find a new place to rent or live in, which can be a costly exercise. So you've got to calculate that and trade with caution. This is not an unlimited scheme. That is, you can't have $5 million homes and sell it and contribute all of it into your super tax-free. You can, however, contribute to your super if it's more than $1.7 million, and that's a bonus. So what are the restrictions to these schemes? You've got to be age greater than 65. There are no requirements to buy another new home. The home must be owned for a minimum of 10 years and this is where you need to clarify what happens if you've switched homes and the current home that you're in is only three years and the previous home is 15 years. I couldn't find much information about the home minimum of 10 years. Does it have to be in total or does it have to be the most recent home that you've lived in? The home must have been sold after the 1st of July 2018 and the contribution must have been made within 90 days of receiving the home sale proceeds. You don't need to contribute all of the 300000 towards downsizer contributions. Only one home downsizer contribution in your lifetime is allowed. That is, you can buy multiple homes and keep making downsizer contributions. You can't. And contributions caps don't apply. So this is in addition to your contribution caps. Downsizer contributions are really useful for people that live in a really nice home and don't need it and want to downsize and want to boost up their super so they can then convert a home, which doesn't produce any income, and convert it to their superannuation, which produces an income. So it allows you to eat your home. The other topic I want to talk about is insurance within super. This is a topic on itself, but I'll briefly address it here. The biggest thing you need to be very careful of when you change your super is your insurance policies will change too. Now, I get nervous when on social media people talk about changing super because of fees or investment performance, but please take into account insurance. There are three main insurances which are available via your superannuation fund. Number one is life insurance upon your death. Number two is income protection insurance. And number three is total and permanent disability. Throughout my podcasting series, I've talked about personal insurance a lot, and things have changed a lot. So, you need to go through my entire episode list and select and search to enter some keywords to find episodes about personal insurance. Let's use an example to highlight why insurance is important. Amy is 38 years old, and her partner Rob is 42 years old. Rob has a heart attack, and luckily, through superannuation, he has income protection. He wasn't able to return to full duties for 12 months, during which time he was able to access the income protection payments. Amy notes that they're paying 0.9% fee on their investment via their super. This is called a balanced fund, which is actually 70% equities and 30% income investments, so technically not that balanced at all. Amy discusses with Rob about changing their super. During their investigation into a new super fund, they found out to get a similar insurance product for Rob and Amy. Rob will need to undergo a full medical checkup. They find out if he did, he will not be covered for cardiology related illnesses and may not even be insurable. So, this makes them keep their current super fund rather than spontaneously change based on investment fees alone. So, the moral here is check before you change. What about superannuation fees? In recent times, the ATO has taken some steps to try and publish fees and performances of super funds, but it's only for balanced funds, and it's only for my super funds. We don't have a reliable way of easily comparing funds that are whim. You need to check the PDFs and troll through each one. I find that fascinating. In 2022, with a mature super fund industry, we still don't have a centralised place where we can easily compare the investment performance and investment fees for each of the super funds that are out there. But let's talk about super fees in general and what you need to look out for. I'm gonna use Hester as an example, and this is not an endorsement or recommendation. I just find their website easy to navigate to find the fees easily. The first fee you need to check out for is called admin fee. This covers the general cost of managing your accounts, call center fees, annual statements, day-to-day running expenses, and fees can be a mix of fixed fees or a percentage of your assets. It's usually a cap. Hester is $1.25 per week, plus the percentage of investment option you select. Capped at $350 per year. Number two is investment fees. This is a fee charged based on what investment products you choose. Investing by super is not free. For example, Hester balance growth is 0.67% at the time of recording. Hester conservative is 0.39%. And index balanced is 0.05%, reduced from 0.06%, I think. And high growth is 0.87%. Now, don't be fooled by the words like sustainable, high growth, conservative. You need to actually check what that means and what asset classes your super is invested in. Number three is indirect cost ratio. This is like stamp duty when you buy a home or sediment cost when you buy a house. No one ever discloses these fees until you buy a home. Indirect cost is cost incurred for making investments on your behalf. This is an addition to the investment fees. And these may include transaction costs, and these costs are deducted from your super. For example, the indirect cost ratio for Hester's balanced fund is 0.14%. For index balanced growth is 0%. And high growth is 0.27%. Number four is insurance fees. This is if you have insurance, which most funds offer, and it's mandatory and have a base cover. It depends on your type of insurance, on how much coverage you have, based on your personal situation. It's hard to put a figure here. The important thing you want to clarify is, supposing you have insurance outside of super, which is your primary insurance, personal, trauma, life, TPD... And you also have insurance within super, which can be high or low or base. You need to clarify which fund you're eligible to get paid under. Can you get paid under the fund outside of super and also inside of super? Or will the super fund say, well, hang on, you've gotten paid outside of super. Therefore, you can't double dip. These are all questions you need to be clarifying and asking. Number five is advice fees your super fund have people to advise you, believe it or not. So make sure if you're being charged advice fees, what the heck is that for? If they don't provide any advice to you directly or indirectly. Now, remember, Hester used to offer this for free. But from April 2022, they will charge people for this. They think it'll be around $300 to $500 per year. But it doesn't say if it's for a statement of advice or a single consult or just a phone call. So if you're with HESTA or any super fund and you're getting charged advice fees and you need to log into your superannuation account to check, you need to ask yourself, what are they providing advice on and is it really worth it? Number six is activity fees. This is once off for things like family law, account splitting or contribution splitting. So yeah, check for this and look out for it. Every super fund is different on this topic. Now, before we finish up this episode, we need to talk about something really important that's happened on the 1st of July, 2022. Now, I'm recording this in June, 2022. Currently, the superannuation contributions base is 10% of your base wage. That's mandatory. Your employer must be providing that. From the 1st of July, 2022, it's 10.5%. So please check your payslip. On the 1st of July 2023, it's 11%. The 1st of July 2024 is 11.5% and the 1st of July 2025 it's 12%. So every year you should get 0.5% extra on your super. That's good news. In fact, this was meant to happen by July 2020, sorry, July 2019, but they froze it. In my opinion, it's wage theft, pure and simple. I might be a bit radical on this. I'm very pro-super. I don't think people should be relying on the aged pension when they retire. If you're able to contribute to your super and maximize it, then please do so. Now, that's about it for this episode. We'll continue to discuss super in the last part of this series. And in that part, we'll focus specifically on some of the options you have on the back end of super. That is when it's time to retire. Stay tuned for that one. And remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using or just leave a five-star rating on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to your podcasts. So please keep them coming. This is Dev Raga from My Millionaire Money Medical and until next time, please make sure you stay safe.
0: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.